Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. And it's Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 through 15. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius, which would have been a daily wage for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. He said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received a denarius, which is a daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? This is the word of God for all of God's people. Let us say, thanks be to God. For all of you who wish church had a little bit more classic rock, you can thank Patrick O'Connor for that. Um, this <laughs> That was the opposite reaction of the traditional service. So that's why we have two different services, right? For two different kind of people. Um, so one of the interesting things for these of you, uh, in, in the end of December, beginning of January, I took a pilgrimage with some people from our church and some family members over to Israel. And, and we wound that up in Egypt. And, and there was lots to learn in Egypt. But one of the more interesting things that I learned was as we approached the Great Pyramid of Giza, you know that, uh, or if you've been you know, traveling anywhere on a touristy place, that you're going to get swarmed by peddlers, people who are trying to get you to buy whatever good that they're selling. Usually they're little maps or little trinkets or things that you don't really need, but it's a good souvenir at the time and it's convenient. And one of the things I learned at the Great Pyramid of Giza is that the peddlers work together. And, and this seemed kind of a foreign concept to me because I'm looking at Egypt in this country that's in a pretty massive economic downturn over the last several years, and there's already a healthy Western skepticism toward peddlers anyway. And so when you're approaching, you constantly have to see, you're constantly seeing people just kind of deflect and, and distract and, and move on from the peddlers. Our tour guide had already told us that at the Great Pyramids of Giza, the peddlers are going to be more aggressive than they had been at the other sites, because at the other sites, there was like a, a designated area and you had to you had to brave the gauntlet to get to the temple you were going to see but if you brave the gauntlet they didn't follow you at Giza they followed you and they harassed you and they were constantly peddling until you could finally shut them down so we knew that 
we knew how desperate they are during this economic downturn. You figured they don't sell very much because of this skepticism. So everything that they do sell means that their family can eat that night or means that they have any kind of sustenance or future. So it literally is a live or die situation whether they sell their goods to you or not. And there was something I guess I expected if they were going to be so aggressive toward us that they would be aggressive toward each other. And yet, as I just kind of, I don't know, observed this behavior of the peddlers, there were never once where one circumvented another to steal a sale. There was never once where they would fight over who got to talk to one group of tourists versus the other. They actually were laughing and joking with each other. They were shaking hands. They were just like, seemed to all be having this really great time. And so I got back on the bus and asked Mustafa, our tour guide, I said, so I thought that would be a little bit more of a situation than it really was. And he said, no, 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 the peddlers work together. And I said, oh, so they like pool the money at the end of the day and like split it out like, you know, profit sharing. And he goes, oh, no, 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 everybody keeps their own money. They just work together. And what they figured out or what they learned over decades of this is that if I am a skeptical tourist coming knowing I'm going to be harassed by people trying to sell me stuff, well, the peddlers know that that skepticism exists. And if one person manages to make a sale in view of all of the other people, then all of a sudden the next tourist group's defenses are let down just a little bit. And then if two people or three people are making a sale, then the next group of tourists comes in and their defenses are let down a little bit. It becomes a more trustworthy environment if one person makes a sale. And so they don't compete with each other so that, or they don't fight with each other at least, so that the environment becomes a little bit more loose for everybody. And it's this really interesting glimpse into a workplace situation that both thrives on competition or exists in a competitive environment, but also thrives because of cooperation. And we get a little glimpse of this with the parable that Jesus told in Matthew 20 about these laborers in the vineyard. And if you don't know, Jesus speaks in parables a lot. A parable is essentially a story with a point that Jesus teaches in most often. If Jesus just told us, this is the lesson you're supposed to learn, 99% of us would just forget it like we did with calculus and chemistry and everything else that we learned once upon a time where we were told facts. But Jesus invites us into a story so that we have to reflect, and it's usually a uh, common experience that we can all experience, or that we can all live into. Most of the people in this room on some level have probably garnered a paycheck on some level, or you've worked in a workplace on, at some length. And if you got hired at eight hours a day, and we're told you're going to be paid this much money, and then you see some other person come in, work for one hour a day, and get the exact same paycheck that you got, I think I know y'all well enough to know that y'all are going to be just like crazy angry. Because everybody would be. It's unfair. It's unjust. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't go along with the common assumptions about workplace environments and the competition that we thrive on or what we're owed as the reward for our work. So in the parable, Jesus invites us into this workplace situation where all of a sudden everybody is paid, well, what the owner told them they were going to get paid, even for less work. It invites us into the question really of what's the goal of our work? Is the goal of the work my reward or is the goal of my work the company's results and the company's thriving? Is any part of my competition and my striving just for, is it all for me or is it part of a larger goal of cooperation? 
So I had a conversation similar to this with a good friend of mine. I've known him since high school. He's been one of my best friends. And I remember he's kind of on the typical, uh, the stereotypical millennial job track. And then he changes jobs about once every 1.2 years. Um, for those of you who have been in the same career for 30 to 40 years, that's not what's going on now, or at least, you know, switching jobs more regularly often. Um, and so he's been changing jobs a lot. And I, one day we were out to breakfast and I just said, doesn't it get exhausting having to learn a new process, new culture, new people, new product, all this, you know, and he's in sales. And, and he goes, yeah, I mean, it gets a little tiring and everything, but David, I don't know if I'm supposed to tell a pastor this or not, but the only thing that motivates me in this life is money. I said, well, I mean, I'm your friend. You can tell me that as a pastor. Maybe not, but, you know, you already said it, so it's out there. And he said, yeah, these new jobs get me more money. I earn more. I get to provide for my family. And, and you know, so well, that's, that's fine. So what was interesting, though, is we were kind of, we were, we were at, at a different breakfast, and we were both kind of lamenting around, we wish we had more time with our children. We wish we had more time for self-care. We're just really both very busy in our occupations and our professions and, uh, and trying to do the best that we possibly can. Um, and he kind of took this real negative turn because he was talking about all of the hours that he's constantly on the phone, he's trying to close a deal, he's constantly on the field, he's constantly selling, constantly working, even when he's supposed to be taking off. And I had some similarities, but he goes, yeah, and there's this other employee, and I tell you, this guy's the worst. I said, well, is this another sales guy? He says, no, this guy doesn't do anything. And he's paid more than I am in base salary. Now I can get commission, but he's paid more than I am in base salary. And I said, well, he's on your team. And he goes, no, he's an executive because they're the worst, right? <laughs> he's not a sales executive. He goes, no, my bosses are great. No, this guy's job, his title is director of corporate culture. <laughs> they're the worst, aren't they? Director of Corporate Culture. So there's an HR function to this of like managing conflict between employees, managing claims against employees. There's the diversity, equity, inclusion training. He does some of the HR stuff, but also his job is to like put together a workplace that people want to come to. And so there's ping pong tournaments and they do lunches. And when people have birthdays, there's a cake ready to go. And so this person's job is essentially, I want to create a corporate environment that people feel safe and peaceful and motivated in. And, and my friend just thought this guy is the biggest waste of space in his company's history because he's in sales. He's about the bottom line. And this guy's not bringing in any income. In fact, the income that my friend is bringing in is paying for his high dollar job to put on ping pong tournaments and take people out to lunch and bring birthday cakes. And so fast forward a few years, COVID comes around. And COVID comes around and churches, businesses, restaurants, everybody's in kind of a financial crunch. And, and people are starting to lay off people. Well, if you're focused on the bottom line, who's the first person to go? Director of corporate culture, right? Not necessarily seen as the most important thing. Fast forward to a few months ago. Him and I and, and two other friends from high school are on this text thread. And it's sports and politics and faith and kids and family. And I mean, the, the gambit of conversation that you could possibly have. And, and we're on there just talking about lots of different stuff. And he starts going down the list of uh, someone said, well, how's work for everybody? And he goes, man, my, it is just a toxic environment. It's like doggy dog. I can't believe this guy came in and stole my sale the other day. I mean, I just, I think I'm going to have to go find another job, another place to work because it's just gotten so bad. And so I go to a separate private text and say, wouldn't it be really great if there was somebody who could, I don't know, establish a healthy corporate culture? <laughs> he 
He didn't appreciate that. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't the most Christ-like thing to do unless, unless Christ is telling parables to invite us into uncomfortable questions and uncomfortable conversations in which we've experienced the way things are and they've led to toxicity, they've led to uh, deprivation, they've led to this kind of world that we ask questions about, that unless Christ is inviting us into rethinking the way that the world works. And in this parable, Christ is offering us a chance to look at somebody who we think is the biggest waste of space in our corporation and wonder what value do they bring. And if I've been here doing my job for 35 years and I'm on a team with somebody who just got hired, is their contribution not just as important as mine? Is the director of corporate culture is essential to a, a role as the salesperson is or the CEO or the custodian is? Jesus is inviting us into this competitive work environment and asking, are we willing to cooperate? Or is the point of us going to work simply to get my reward and get my good stuff and celebrate me and my achievements and give myself a good life? Or when I go to work, am I part of a team? Am I part of a corporation, which is a existence of a body of people? Am I part of something that is trying to achieve goals? And what's more important when I go to work? Is it just about me? Or is it about the whole? And Jesus would ask us the question, are you really so concerned about your importance? And if you are so concerned about your importance, then what's missing in your life? There was an interesting counseling conversation I just had this Thursday. And um, this was a guy who, if you're talking Christianity as a corporation, he got hired as a kid. He got hired as a kid, grew up in, in church, and grew up in the, in the corporation. And then um, around college time, as some people do, he took what we call an extended lunch break in the church. In fact, he didn't take an extended lunch break. He left the corporation for a while. And then he came back, and he's gotten really thick into his faith. Um, he, he's on the company goal, come on the company track again. But he was in Hebrews, and he read this scripture that perhaps suggests that if you ever left the company, then you never get your retirement plan. And so he was very uh, concerned about this. And, and so we were sitting there and I was trying to convince him that, that throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, um, God is very concerned and very passionate about everyone having a second chance and everyone being part of a great culture and everyone being welcome and everybody having this experience of gaining the retirement plan of heaven. And that even the story of the prodigal son where the son leaves the corporation and squalors everything and then comes groveling back and isn't treated like a second-class employee, but is treated as like the grand champion of the company at the time. 1 Corinthians 12 details how everybody's role, everybody has a gift, everybody makes up the body of Christ, everybody makes up the corporation. It's not just one over the other. Ecclesiastes 4.12 talks about a three-stranded cord is stronger than just trying to do things by yourself. The entirety is about bringing us together for the goodness of God and for the glory of God so that we can achieve things together and value each other in that. And he wasn't getting it until all of a sudden he looks and he, I mean, he goes like the thief on the cross. And we'll get to this story closer to Good Friday, but the thief on the cross, as Jesus is up on the cross during the crucifixion, there's two men on either side of him, and one of them is, you know, deriding him of, Jesus, you're supposed to be the Son of God. Get us down from here. Save yourself, right? You're not worthy of your spot in the corporation if you can't do these things for us, if you can't help my goal out here individually to get free and to get safe, or if you can't even save yourself. But the guy on his right says, 
Lord God, I believe that you are the Son of God. And if it be your pleasure, if it be your will, can I be with you in paradise? You know what Jesus does. He says, well, you've only been with the company for about an hour now. So Jesus looks at the people on the cross and says, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you get the retirement plan that Peter got, that Abraham got. Today you will get all of the benefits of everything that everybody's been working for. Because that's the kind of God I am. I'm not looking to favor those who have been in a church for 20 years over those who have been here for the very first time. I'm not looking to favor somebody who's been here and feels like they're more important than everybody else. I am looking for a corporation. I'm looking for a church that values everybody from the moment they're born as equals in the share of heaven, as people who celebrate when somebody gets something they don't deserve. This is the radical, crazy nature of grace, is that we are supposed to celebrate when people, when lost sheep are found. We're supposed to celebrate when those people are rallied together or become part of the body of Christ. When they get to share in the same reward that we have been building our entire lives for, even if it's for one second, we are supposed to celebrate that. And yet somehow when we leave the two to three hours of church on Sunday morning and we go into this workplace that is not only competitive against our rival companies, but it is competitive against each other. And so the other 98 point whatever percent of life that we're in, we're taught that people are our enemies. Or at least standing in the way of my goal. Jesus invites us to wonder how they might be just as valuable as we are. And in fact, not a separate value, but a cooperative value. How does the director of corporate culture influence how the director of sales does their job and vice versa? And I'll say, I've said this a million times, hopefully you read it a couple weeks ago, but if you want to know who the most important employees at Creekwood United Methodist Church are, they're taking care of your children in the nursery right now. And so I wonder, from a workplace environment, if we are trying to get closer to God and trying to bring our faith to play in all areas of our life from a workplace environment, I wonder if there is somebody in your place of business or your corporation that you are a part of who absolutely doesn't feel or know that they are valued right now. Because if I'm asking myself, what would Jesus do looking at this parable, I think that Jesus would go to the people who don't know that they are valued, who have only worked one hour, and the rest of society would tell them, you didn't do enough, you aren't enough, you haven't been here long enough to matter. And Jesus would go to those people and say, here's your daily wage. Because you get to share in the rewards just as much as I do. You are part of the body of Christ. You are part of the whole. And what is the goal? Is the goal my reward? Or is the goal God's kingdom? And the goal for Jesus is the collective, is my kingdom. It's bringing the lost sheep into the fold. It's making sure the leper is healed. It's making sure that Matthew, the tax collector, is called into the 12 and gets to be a part of things. It is making sure that everybody knows the value that they have for the outcome of the collective good of God's kingdom. So I think the challenge is, is when you go to work on Monday, who is it around the office that needs to know that they're valuable? Who is it that needs to be uplifted a little bit? Who is it that's been left out in the cold or talked about behind their back? 
And how can you be the presence of Christ that lets them know that they matter? They matter just as much as everyone else. Let's pray. Gracious God, for the radical grace that you have shown in your son, Jesus Christ, that you have looked at someone who it just clicked for yesterday and given them the same reward as somebody who has spent a lifetime in faith. God, we ask forgiveness for those times in which we have um, gone into the rest of our lives outside of this safe bubble of church and we have um, made people to feel as though they aren't worthy and they don't matter and we haven't included them in the whole goodness of what our corporation or our lives have to offer. And so God, break down our ego and break our hearts so that we might be living examples of people who offer your entire kingdom in its fullness right off the bat so that those that we meet might know that they matter and they are valuable and that cooperatively we can achieve our goals together. And so God, if we are to have the spirit of competition, may we outdo one another in honor as your scripture says, as we love our neighbor just as much as you've loved us. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.